the Word of God. Ephesians. I just got done verse by verse with Ephesians and uh, getting ready to get out of there. But you don't wear the Word of God out. Uh, nor do you plumb the depths of it. Do you hit the bottom? <clears throat> Most amazing book in the world is the Bible. We use the King James translation. We understand it is a translation. No translation can be perfect because you can't, you can't make a translation from one language to another language without there being some doubtful things. Because language is culture. And every language is, does not translate into every other language. So that's why you need somebody that knows what they're doing when, you, when you're translating the language. But we've got one, and King James had nothing to do with it, except he authorized it in King, in England. He didn't authorize it here. He, he can't authorize the Word of God here. But the Texas Receptus from which the King James was made, that is the text of the Word of God, and this is the English translation. There are others, but I don't like the others. I think there's some problems with all of them. This is the best one. It's not perfect, but it's the best one we've got. And it's one of the, the best pieces of English literature that we have anywhere. Even Shakespeare said that. So let's look at the book of Ephesians. The word of, every word is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable. Every word. There is not one verse of the whole 66 books of the Bible that does not need to be read and explained and understood. It is, every word is given by inspiration of God. God breathed it into the writers. There were 40 different writers. Believe it or not, there's even part of the Bible that was authored by women. <laughs> yeah. Proverbs 31, you were in Proverbs of Sunday School. Proverbs 31, that was Solomon's mother talking to him. So there are little sections there by women. The Bible doesn't put women down, just women are different than men, and we're glad they are. Anyway, so every word is given. Every word is profitable. Not one word does not need to be expounded. Every word of it. Here in the book of Ephesians. Apostle Paul wrote it. As he wrote. 13 other books. Of the New Testament. And here. He gets into the last part. I'd like to read the whole chapter. Because I hate to miss out on any of it. But I'm going to be talking about. Verses 19 and 20. But getting into that. I'm going to break in here in verse 15. Chapter 1, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Chapter 1, verse 15. Wherefore I also, of course I, is Paul writing, I also... After I heard of your faith, he's not talking to the world here. He is addressing 
the church that is at Ephesus. Ephesus is in Asia Minor. Ephesus was one of those seven churches of Asia Minor addressed, Jesus addressed in the book of the Revelation. Paul spent three years with the church at Ephesus. He had taught them major, major doctrine. He says, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. So this is not a letter to the, church, to the world. It's to a church, very personal. And he's talking to these people. This will apply to any other church of like faith and order. All right. He said, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. This, this is really interesting here. Most of our prayers are, Lord, give, Lord, help us that. That's what most of our prayers are made up of. Here's one of the prayers of the Apostle Paul. He doesn't say anything about what we mostly talk about. Completely different. She says, I make mention of you in my prayers. And here's what he mentions them about. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, notice, you can't mistake what God he's talking about. And I've taught that here. God, we need to make sure you can't assume that we're talking to the God of the Hindu or the God of the Buddhist or the God of the Muslim. We're talking to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is no mistaking. Now, that's not popular in this world. Matter of fact, that might even be called exclusivity and even hate speech. But we're going to continue with it because that's what the Bible says. Now, may give unto you the spirit. Now, there is not the capital S spirit. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He's talking about them learning of the Lord, learning of the word of God. The reason there's so little soundness in so many churches is because there's not any teaching of the word of God. They get the poems of this and or the writings of this. And, uh, I even heard Billy Graham one time talking about the writings of Mao. The writings of Marcus Aurelius. You ever hear that? I heard that. I like to wreck when I heard that. Been years ago. What's he doing quoting Marcus Aurelius who was a murderer of Baptists? And Mao Zedong was not only a murderer of Baptists, he was a murderer of millions of Chinese people. How would you do that in the Lord's pulpit? We don't need to be talking about them. We need to be on the Word of God. Anyway, verse 18, the eyes, now he's still in this process of praying, requesting these things of God on behalf of the saints of God in Ephesus. Now, they, these, are not, these were not dead saints. These were live saints. That just the word hagios in the Greek means holy ones, children of God. He says, the eyes 
of your understanding being enlightened. You see, you have the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of the Scripture. The Holy Spirit of God inspired the Scripture to be written. That's why it's not like any other book. All of the writers, God breathed, theopanousios in the Greek, God breathed, literally, into the writers, and they wrote as they were directed by God, yet they used their own understanding, their own personalities, their own styles. That's why you can tell the difference in writing from the Apostle Peter, from the Apostle Paul, from Moses. There are differences. He didn't destroy their differences. He didn't make robots out of them, but he breathed into them his word, and they wrote his word. They wrote a lot of other things. Even Paul mentions other letters that he's written. We don't have them. Why? They obviously were not given under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord had no intention for us to have them because we've got his completed revelation, 66 books. All right, now, <clears throat> ye, second person plural, he was a good southerner, that y'all may know, that's what he says, that you all may know what is the hope of his calling. Not my calling, his calling. We know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them who are the called according to his pleasure. He's the he's one that calls. All right. So, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Somehow, by God's grace, he's got an inheritance in his people. Boy, it had to be God because I couldn't, I couldn't muster that up. There's nothing about me that be, be worthy. So, but Paul wants the, the saints at Ephesus to know what that is. To glory in that. And what is, now here we go, the exceeding greatness. A greatness is one thing, but here he's got exceeding greatness of his power. We have let ourselves be mesmerized by by. Literature and people who, who don't even know God to steal from us the knowledge of his power. Now let me give you a little bit of it. They got all those, those machines out there in space. Hubble and there's one other. What's, what's the other one? Web, yeah. And they're sending back pictures. They've been out there running for a long time. And they're sending back pictures of what's been there ever since God spoke it into existence. 
But they can't figure that out. How God could have spoken it into existence. So the best that they can do. Now here, here's what they do now. Is that they say well. Billions and billions and billions of years ago. Everything was reduced down to the size of a period on that paper, on that page. Everything. Now wait a minute. We are 250-something thousand miles from the moon. We're 93 million miles away from the sun. And we are... Is it 24 trillion light years away from the nearest star? That's Alpha Centauri, isn't it? We're 24 trillion, I don't know, miles or light years. I don't know what it is. Long ways. I'll tell you how far it is. That's the nearest star. We ain't never going to get there. We ain't never going to build a ship that can get there. That's how far it is. And that's just the nearest one. Now wait a minute. So the best that they can do, they said everything is reduced to the size of a, of a period on that page. My goodness. David, you could probably measure that with your micrometer. I couldn't. I can't even read one of them things. <laughs> I know they're really little bitty things. And everything in the universe was in that little period. And billions and billions, 13 and a half billion years ago, all of a sudden, it exploded. Now you talk about, say, y'all just have faith in that. What, what do they have faith in? They have faith in a period blowing up everything that is. I've said this before. You could take, well, probably a thimble full of this water and put it, take a spark plug out of your engine and pour that down there in spark plug hole and get that in your cylinder. Now when you put that plug back and you crank them over, what's that going to do to your engine? It's going to bust a piston. That's what it's going to do. It's going to destroy your engine. A thimble full of water. We just got done looking on my maps on my wall. The, the, the Pacific Ocean, how big it is. I've been on it. Yep, I've been... I went to San Diego boot camp and home ported in Alameda for three years. And I've been all over the Pacific. I've been from, we could see Siberia in the Bering Sea to all the way down to Sydney, Australia. And I've been all the way uh, to Vietnam, Laos, and, all, and all, all over the Pacific. Gone for a month and never seen anything but water. No land. That's a huge place. And that is connected to the Atlantic and to all the rest of them. All of that one. And you take a thimble full and you can't even compress that to the size of that dot. 
And yet they see not only the water, but the land and the stars and the planets and all that gas and everything else. You can't, but they can. And that's what they've come up with. That's the best that they can do. Well, God's given us some more examples of his power. One of them to start with, it says in the days of creation in Genesis 1, and he made the stars also. <laughs> he spoke. The psalmist said he spoke and it was done. Isn't that marvelous? Yeah, buddy. Anyway, God, he wants us to know the, originally the church at Ephesus, but everybody else in like faith and order, to know the exceeding greatness of his power. Now, the exceeding greatness of his power, that's a lot of it. And there's a lot of it there. To usward. Well, that word, usward, is used several times. To usward. Let's just get it in the direction of us so we can, get, get a hold, we can grab a hold of it. Usward who believe. <laughs> so now, now that, that would, if you believe, that would include you in here. According to the working of his, didn't say power, mighty power. <laughs> so what's our example of that? Here it comes. Which he wrought. The word wrought just means worked. Wrought iron is just iron that's been worked. Makes it all fancy and all that. Which he worked in Christ. <laughs> Here it is. When he raised him from the dead. What is the ultimate display of God's mighty power but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. And it didn't stop there. He raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies. The places is in italics, supplied by the translator, but in the heavenlies or the heavenly places, that's all right, because heaven is a place. Amen. And so where is the Lord Jesus Christ? Sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for all of his saints. How'd he get there? I thought, he, I thought they killed him on the cross. They did? Or they attempted to. Actually, they didn't. They put him up there to be killed. And he hanged there until another great act of power took place. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He died of his own will. Amen. Now, we're talking about God's mighty power. And he's in the heavenly places far. <laughs> Just how far above can you get? I don't know. <laughs> and I don't know anybody that does know. Even, even the uh, heathen astronomers, they don't know. They know that they don't know. <laughs> is it is outer space is it infinity does it go on without air well it, it's got a place it goes it's got a getting off place we just don't know how far away that is 
Ain't apt to find it out in this life. Anyway, above all principality and power and might. Now when he's talking about that, back in chapter 6 of Ephesians, he'll talk about that. And that principality and those uh, uh, rulers of the darkness, that's all of Satan's bunch. In this spiritual world around us, because there is a spiritual world around us. That we don't see it, but it's there. But far above all principality and power and might and dominion, that's governmental power. And that's what, that's what God gave Adam and Eve over the earth and all of the created animals of the world. I know everybody likes animals better than humans. But that's not what God, God intended. We need to take care of our animals. But they're animals. Amen. Human beings, they're made in the image of God. Amen. And they are a spirit that has a body. And if they die without Christ, they'll go to hell forever. And there's no remedy for that. That will never cease. But if they die with Christ, in Christ, they have eternal life abiding in Him. And they will never perish. And every name that is named, Christ is far above that. Every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Well, there's, an, there's another world which is to come. Oh, yeah. Yes, indeedy. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things. Now, the word church, that's an interesting word. In the English, it's a word that came from the, the German. I've been in Germany and I've seen on uh, church buildings the word Kirche. K-I-R-K-E. That's where that word church came from. Building. But that's not what's in the Greek. Ecclesia in the Greek means assembly. So the church is the assembly of God's people that have met together scripturally and covenanted to carry out His great commission. And so which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. His body is not spread out over the world invisibly. His body is in each assembly, local assembly. All right, now, now that I got all that out of the way, we'll get on to something here now. There's three things that he prays for. That they're to know the hope of God's calling. The riches of his, his glory in the inheritance of his people and the exceeding greatness of his power. Now there's a three-point outline, and I didn't make that up. That's right here. That's what Paul said. Now, the saving of a, well, you use the word soul sometimes interchangeably. Literally, man is body, soul, and spirit. 
your spirit, that's what you are. You are a spirit, then you have a body. God made Adam from the dust of the earth. Adam was completely formed. Only problem was there wasn't any life in him. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And Adam became a living soul. So, a human being. When you see the word soul in scripture, generally it means a person, a human being. So, we are a spirit. And that's why when we expire, when we die, our spirit leaves our body. Our body goes back to the dust from which it came. However it goes, many of them are going back there in a hurry because they go to the cremation. And that gets them back there in a hurry. Others go to a grave, embalmed and all that. it take a lot longer for them to get there, but they're going nonetheless. Anyway, so your spirit leaves your body and immediately, Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. How much time elapses? Well, I don't think there's any. Amen. And I'll tell you my illustration for that is Luke 16. The rich man and Lazarus. Now the rich man... He fared sumptuously every day. I mean, he had all. I mean, he had it all. And then there was old Lazarus. He was a poor beggar. Only medicine he had was a dog licking his sores. And there he spent his days at the gate of the rich man begging for some crumbs from his table. I've said this before. I don't think that Lazarus ever has said, hey man, how are you doing? Oh, I've had a wonderful day. I don't think Lazarus ever had that experience in his whole life. I don't think he ever had a day that was wonderful. Unless you could say sitting on somebody's, sitting on the ground, covered with sores and dogs licking you, and you begging for crumbs and everybody sticking their nose up at you. I wouldn't call that a wonderful day. Now, did the rich man ever have a wonderful day? He never had anything but wonderful days until he died. And Lazarus died. What it says, Lazarus died. And the angels carried him into Abraham's bosom. But the rich man also died. Now, in between times, you see there a big funeral. You see some funerals, I've been to them, copper coffins. Whoo, big bucks. Now, even a little funeral's big bucks now. But I mean, get the fancy rosewood coffins and cherry coffins and oak coffins and all kinds of coffins and, and concrete vaults and put it down in there and hermetically sealed at 
water can't ever get to it and, and all that. But the corpse that's inside it does not know it. What was inside that corpse is gone. Now if he's saved, he's with the Lord. And he don't need all that stuff. But if he's lost, he's right where the rich man was. So the rich man died. Listen to this now. Continual. The rich man died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his voice, being in torment. I'm tormented in this flame. And the, the futility that he felt. Uh, Abraham, can't you send old Lazarus, that old beggar? Can't you? I'm begging you, send him with a drop of water from a tongue. Notice the irony there. But he was told immediately, there's a great gulf fixed between you and us. And those that would pass from there to here can't. Those that pass from here to there can't. A great gulf fixed. And so when someone dies, it's over with. Whatever. If they're in heaven, praise the Lord. They're for eternity. If they're in hell, they're there for eternity. Nothing will ever change. A lot of these religions preach a second chance. No, no. There certainly isn't. Anyway. So, but the saving of a soul or a human being is uniquely God's work. A lot of people don't realize that. And they present it as if you've got some power over that. But the truth of the matter is, look over at verse 4, chapter 1. According as he, that's God, hath chosen us in him. When? Before the foundation of the world. <laughs> well, having predestinated us in verse 5. To the praise of his glory, the glory of his grace, verse 6. Wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. All you hear, accept Jesus, No. No, he hath made us accept, not acceptable. He's not made me acceptable. I am not acceptable to the three times holy God. But he made me accepted in Jesus Christ. And so how was that? Well, Jesus Christ, who's God in the flesh, but he came as a man. And he was born under the law. Subjected, submitted to the law of God. Just as Adam was. Adam's called the first Adam. Christ is called the last Adam. And Jesus Christ was under the law of God just as Adam was. So what about free will? Yes, they both had free will. Adam number one had free will. The last Adam had free will. Adam number one exercised his free will and he transgressed the law of God and thereby he plunged himself 
and the whole human race into sin. But now Adam, the last Adam, he too was without sin, just as Adam was. And he too was under the law of God, just as Adam was. The difference is that Adam number two, the last Adam, did no sin. First Peter chapter two. He did no sin. Someone said, oh, he couldn't sin. No, 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 no. He did no sin. He exercised his free will and he chose to not sin. Thereby, he defeated sin in the flesh by obeying the Ten Commandments, the law of God. Every jot and tittle, he never transgressed one iota. And he earned perfect righteousness. Is God righteous? Of course God's right. God's holy. God did not give us his holiness. Jesus Christ imparted to his people his perfect righteousness, his earned perfect righteousness. And all of those Adverbs and adjectives need to be used. Jesus Christ earned perfect righteousness under the law. Then at the end of his life, he went to the cross of Calvary. And there he became our scapegoat. He took all of the sins of all of his people on his body. And he paid the sin debt. To God Almighty. And you have to see this. I don't, I don't know how you could be saved and not see all this. I don't, I don't know. But you see Jesus Christ when he went to the cross. At first. He addressed God as father. But in that dark hour. When God the father made him to be sin for us. He cried out my God my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Because in that hour, Jesus Christ had become the abomination of all of the sins of all of his people. And there he suffered a torment that no one straight that on a movie. Nobody could illustrate that. Oh, I know they put the crown of thorns and all that, the movies and all that stuff. But they don't tell you. They, they cannot relate to you the suffering of Jesus Christ. He suffered eternal hell fire in his body on the tree for all of his people. Amen. I can't fathom that, neither can you. No one can. Salvation is of the Lord. I've asked the question many times. I asked it on national radio one time, debating with a fellow that had written. He's presented himself as some kind of authority. I said, what is it that actually saves a sinner from their sin? I never got him to answer. 
He never would answer. And I never let up on him. I didn't move on to some other question. I stayed with that because I want the answer. What is it that actually saves a sinner from his sin? I'll tell you what it is. It's the suffering of Jesus Christ in his body on the cross. And when he said, teleo, Greek word, it is finished. It was done. Nothing else could be done or needed to be done. It was done. It was finished, completed. So salvation is uniquely God's work. We've got the strongest language possible. It's exceeding and mighty. The exceeding greatness of his power. His mighty power. Can't put it in any stronger terminology than that. Each time a soul is saved, I believe there's a new creation there. When he talks about being born again, John 3, you must be born again. God does not take this old depraved man and remodel it. But doesn't he say that we are a new creature created in Christ Jesus? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, get to God, not of works, us in man should boast, for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which yet before ordained that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2. A new creature. That indicates the work of creation. So when I was born again, I was born of God. That's literally what that means, that again. Born from above. I was a new creation. That's why my old man didn't understand that new man. And my old man still has problems with that new man. But boy, does my new man have a problem with that old man that's still there. Anyway, new creation. Only God can create. And that indicates a new creation, a new creature. Only God destroys. There's one lawgiver, <laughs> James 4, who's able to save and to destroy. That's what the Bible says. Hmm. Only God alone is able to do such. He says, all old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Talking about a new creature, a new creation. Making alive. The great illustration in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel stands out looking over a big battlefield. And no telling how many thousands of soldiers had died on that battlefield. And the Bible says, Ezekiel 36 or somewhere there, there were very many bones. And they were very dry. Unlike some of the dinosaur bones are finding, 
that still got blood in them. <laughs> They're not 65 million years old. They're about since the flood. But anyway, there were very many, very dry, and they were very dead bones. Not even animals are chewing on them. There's nothing left in them. And Ezekiel is asked, can these bones live? And he was smart. He said, Lord, thou knowest. <laughs> That's too big a question for me. I'm not qualified to give you an answer. Thou knowest. And pretty soon, the breath of God began to blow on them bones. And them bones went together. Did they, did they get the right ones? I guarantee you they did. And the sinews, they stood up. Flesh came on them. And they lived. And there's what happens when a sinner is saved. Right there is exactly what happens. Well, now, according to the working of his mighty power, and here verse 20, we, give, we get the proof of the working of his mighty power. Now, what, we certainly have the proof of his mighty power. Now, notice, all his trees, they ain't the prettiest now. A few of them got old brown leaves hanging on them. Most of them have no leaves at all. That's just kind of depressing part of winter. And somewhere along middle Late March, we'll start seeing little buds, leaf buds. By it in April, beautiful green trees all over. And the flowers and all that beautiful time of year, spring, coming off of the dead of winter. Jesus Christ didn't look good when he was taken down off the cross. The Bible says that his visage was marred more than any man's. He had been beat. He had suffered. That's why he sweat as it were great drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane. He knew what he faced. And he said, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He didn't sin. And his body must have been an awful looking mess. Can you imagine driving those big rusty nails into your hands and your feet? What kind of wound that would leave and you're hanging by? What kind of wound with that awful bloody mess? Crown of thorns pressed on his head, blood down. Beat with a cat of nine tails. Smack with the open hand. Can you imagine somebody had, had to live with that? I took my hand and I smacked the Lord of glory. I want that on my conscience. Well, and then he was put in that grave. Now, most people say he was there from Friday to Sunday morning, but that ain't true. That's totally untrue. 
He was in that grave for 72 hours. Matthew 12, Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, don't have any problem with it being a whale because I know it's what it says. Three days and three nights. And we know Jesus said, a day has 12 hours. And a night has 12 hours. So one day and night is 24 hours. That's the way I can cipher, see. And then if I do three times that, carry the two, yeah, okay. 72 hours. You can't squeeze 72 hours from Friday afternoon to Sunday morning. Best you can do is 36. So what everybody does, just take your Bible. That's not some weird statement of mine. That's scripture, plain scripture. Anyway, Jesus was in that tomb 72 hours. But then God raised him from the dead. Well, we see the real death of Christ. Oh, there's all kinds of theories as to why he didn't arise from the dead. Some of them say, well, they went to the wrong tomb. <laughs> or he just swooned. None of those are true. When he arose, he said, well, why didn't they recognize him when they saw him? I'll tell you what. My poor old daddy, he died from lung cancer. And I left him about midnight. And my mother called me at 3 o'clock in the morning. He's gone. She didn't do it like that. And I'm trying to keep from crying. Anyway, <laughs> they had him down there. Kerr Brothers were sent him on East Main. I went down there for the family visitation. I walked right by him. That coffin is open. And I walked by him. I didn't even know him. Because he looked nothing like what I saw him last night. They done done all their stuff on him. And I didn't even know him. So don't be amazed that the disciples, when they saw Jesus in his resurrected body, they didn't even know him. Look what they'd seen, what they'd run off from. He didn't look like that no more. Let me tell you something else. Lazarus, you'll never see him again full of sores and starving to death. God raised him from the dead. 
and he was in his glorified body. He's the Lord of glory and he's in his glorified body and he will be forevermore. Does that answer why they didn't know him? You picture his lifeless corpse. The Bible teaches that he was raised. That word for raises. Resurrection is out from among them. Dead. He was among the dead. But he ain't now. And all the dead ain't come out only him. That's right. Yeah. Look quickly at Acts 2. Verse 21, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders. That's what they were done for. And signs, which God did by him, in the midst of you, as you yourselves also not know, him by the determinate counsel that would fit right in there with predestination Amen. and foreknowledge of God. That means the foreloving of God. Y'all have taken and by wicked hands. Have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. <laughs> Peter's learned some stuff. <laughs> yes, he has. Anyway, move on here. Jesus Christ became sin for us, and he knew no sin. Not a pretty thing. Sin is not pretty. Oh, you can dress it up. I don't know if kids remember it or not. Used to have big posters of the Marlboro Man. Anybody remember that? A few of you old timers do. There's a cowboy, not unlike Tom Selleck. He, he fit a, he, a good cowboy, didn't he? Got the hat and the fancy shirt and the trusty steed, this horse, out there on the, on the range. Had a tattoo on his hand. Smoking a Marlboro. But then I think the guy that made that model 
Wasn't long after that he died of lung cancer. Wonder what he looked like before he checked out. Now you can see sin. Not all dressed up. Now you can see sin. But our Lord became sin. That's what the Bible says. For us, and he knew no sin, but he became sin for us. <laughs> the abomination of our sin. And folks, spiritually speaking, that's exactly what we all look like before the Lord saves us. Spiritually. Seventy-two hours in that tomb. Nobody saw what went on in there. No one saw the power until he came out. <laughs> and you know what? All of the apostles, we know Judas is gone by now. But the apostles and all of the disciples, you know, all apostles were disciples. All disciples were not apostles. Keep that in mind. They never were the same again. <laughs> because they've seen their Lord, what he went through. They knew that he, he died, he suffered, and now he arose. And they talked with him. He came through a wall in the upper room. <laughs> Wasn't anything magic. He was in his spiritual body. So explain that to me. I just did. Told you everything I know about it. Spiritual body. That's everything I know about it. No one saw the power of it. Well, let me give you an illustration here. Have you ever seen anybody that was, you know, they're just a wicked person? And somebody got the gospel to them, and they were saved. Now, you didn't see the power going on. You see the results of it. But you didn't see the power going on. The same creative power of God is going on in their heart that went on in that tomb. Amen. That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? Well, it's divine power. The power is of God. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation the gospel is wonderful but the gospel by itself never saved anybody but the gospel is the power of God unto salvation <laughs> not only is it divine power it's irresistible power somebody said that the Holy Spirit of God is just like the Royal Canadian Mountie he always gets his man 
He which hath begun a work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And it is glorious power. The glory belongs to God. And it is everlasting power.